You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGN+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush, joining you again for another beautiful week of NoCo Cinema. And normally this is where I would introduce uh, my beautiful yet disgusting co-host, Connor. But uh, we've decided to take a little, you know, a little break. You know, the therapist said, just, just, just be apart for a little bit. So he is doing a retreat up in Wisconsin. He took Labor Day. Yeah, he took Labor Day, basically. Good for him. Yeah, I like he that. He earned it. He did. He did. He's a hard worker. Um, and so I decided I need another, I need a co-host. So I brought in my buddy Jake Wiseman. Hey. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. He right. is, uh, you may know him from a few previous episodes of the show. He is a writer. He is a director. He is sometimes an actor under a pseudonym. What's your pseudonym? Uh, and the new one, it's Yves San Francis. Ooh. I like that. It gives me chills. Yeah. I, um, and he, I had to uh, fill in for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my name all over the thing, you know? No. No, we don't want anybody <laughs> to know. Uh, except now everybody does know. Now everybody knows. If it's you listen. Me, guys. When you see this movie, it's me. It's him. Uh, and he is also the uh, co-founder of Capra Movie House. Jake Wiseman, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for doing it's this. It's great so. to be here. I love this seat. It's, you know, they're very ergonomic. Well, I mean, the more, like... Royal seat. Oh, I like sitting next to you, Tom. The 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 royal seat, a version the, of the royal we. Yeah, like not the not the literal seat, not but the, literal, the royal I mean, it's a, seat. It's a nice seat. The, Don't like, get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful seat. So more I mean, more the 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 idea of the seat. Yeah, I mean, more I than the honor and everything like that. But this is uh this is a lot of fun. This he needs to fun. take a a sleep. Yeah, he needs to. He needs to. Joining us for our feature presentation segment, we've got a couple of writers, producers. They've been making some shorts, making some full-length features. Unbelievably exciting. Unbelievably exciting. It's so great to have them. We've got Joe Rendazzo and Sean Steffen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, uh, we did have a little moment of uh, asking you about this, Joe. Can you please say your name the way your family says it? Because I really like it. Oh, um, Rendazzo. Oh, it's beautiful. My, my, my family is straight. Well, my parents were straight from Italy, so wow. uh, it, English is actually my second language. Wow. So I love Italiano. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not as practiced anymore. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was speaking Italian long before I learned to speak English. Is that how you got dates? <laughs> yes. That's, That's how you do it. Beautiful. You just Sean, any Italian over there? Uh, no. Unfortunately, no. I barely even speak Pig Latin. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad, you know, because whenever we have Connor on the show, he's very fluent in Spanish. So occasionally we'll get him to speak in another language, it's, and it's uh, gorgeous. It's the language of romance. True. You guys made a short called "The Perfect Candidate." It's up on FunnyOrDie dot com, mm-hmm. where everybody can watch it. I would definitely suggest that you watch it. Uh, when was that one made again? Uh, we released it in November of twenty twelve. November sure. about. Five days before the election, I want to say. Uh, I think we released it on election day. Or something uh, we, like that. It, it was close. It was close to close yeah. to it. Right, and this and this short is, I guess, uh, a, 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 be- a beautifully funny, but also horrifyingly accurate prediction <laughs> of 2016. <laughs> you just got it a couple of years early. Yeah, um, yeah. We are so sorry. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's if right. I put, if we put that out there in the universe, we apologize, and I don't think any amount idea. of apologizing is any going to get ever going to. You know, uh, purge my soul here. <laughs> no. 
So uh, can you give us a little overview? What is what is the perfect candidate? Um, around late 2011, when Charlie Sheen was going through his massive uh, meltdown after being fired from massively two and entertaining, half, massively entertaining too, which is what <laughs> I started. Th- I started thinking, how funny would it be if somebody ran for president? On that idea of just saying whatever the hell he wants, damn what anybody thinks, and um, just kind of a, just a, just a, a celebrity with no self awareness whatsoever running for president, <laughs> and um, we had been uh, we had just finished uh, Deadly Xmas, or we were still uh, working in post on Deadly Xmas, and we had had this subplot with. Uh, uh, Joe Estevez, who's Charlie Sheen's uncle, uh, and we never got it worked in. So we thought, why don't we just do a short with him, and we'll just include it on the DVD. And um, so I came up with the idea, and I took it to Dave Campfield, and we we worked on it a little. Um, at that point, I was living in New York. I moved out to L.A. He set up a meeting for me with Joe and um, told him the idea. He had a few things he wanted to, you know, he wanted to work on with it. Like he, he liked the idea, excuse me, of a, of a low level celebrity kind of, um, kind of being in the running to be president or trying to, and he, he played himself as a complete boob and he's nothing like that. (laughs) Um, and it, his whole thing was, why doesn't he just? He, he should just be somebody who just says whatever's on his mind, and he doesn't. He doesn't have a filter because he's not a politician. He doesn't no. know that this isn't proper. He's not part of the Washington elite. Yeah, drain the swamp. <laughs> not an insider. <laughs> so you basically, you guys, you you took this story and uh, you. This is Donald Trump. Like it basically I'm, is. I'm not, basically. I'm not afraid. You have uh, Joe Estevez playing. The Donald Trump in in the way that we all kind of view him right now, which is just this big loudmouth who says whatever he wants, you know, throws common decency out the window and becomes president. Like how when you made that and you can't when, you know, four years later when we were watching the 2016 election and it actually more or less happens how you, how you made it. What was the feeling there? We actually didn't notice until uh, we actually screened it for John Davies. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, we had an audience that was, at the end, really engaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when we took the stage that day, they were asking us a lot of questions about, oh, my God, did you get... Because, I mean, you even had everything down to the almost... Um, um, his name escapes me right now. Uh, Steve Bannon. Oh, the Steve Bannon. We almost had the Steve Bannon-type character. Yeah, who's yeah kind the of, Steve Bannon yeah. stooge. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, I mean... It was, we didn't really notice it until a couple days before or before or after the inauguration when we screened it in Chicago and everyone was like, oh my God, you got this right and this yeah, right. Yeah, this character, you had this character, this person's in the administration, this person was part of the campaign. And it just kind of, it, we started, it hit, it hit us. And it slowly but surely it came over us. Yeah, they were comparing uh, <laughs> um, Roberta to Kellyanne Conway. Yeah, and, we had our own oh Kellyanne gosh. Conway and Steve Bannon in it, and it's and all the way down to the very last joke where we just substituted Donald Trump by name and <laughs> declared him the winner. Well, when, yeah, because we we had this. Um, 
Because ultimately, Joe Estevez is a good guy, and he, he sees where it's going, and he's like, no, I can't do this. So there's a little post-credit thing where you just have the news announcer. The, the whole thing, he's having this dilemma of, oh, well, I can't do this, so we need somebody who's a, who's a total media whore, and... Would would do it just just to have the power? And of course, the last line of the of the whole thing is the winner of California and the entire and the presidency of the United States is Donald J. Trump. And I'm like, now looking back at that, <laughs> <laughs> was that in the original script, or did you guys have that in post? Or? We originally the idea was Lloyd Kaufman, who we're both friends with, and we thought that maybe we could use him in, in just a photo or whatnot. And then we thought, you know what? As much as we love Lloyd, maybe that wouldn't be the best uh, punchline for the joke sure. on, a, on a major level. So then we just thought, well, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. That that works perfectly. He had just been roasted at the time on Comedy Central. Yeah, uh, he was roasted by the president at the <laughs> at the um, uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. So it was one of those things where it just felt right. And who in their right mind would think that Donald Trump had a chance to win? Just what I was about to say. We we, we looked at it as <laughs> no. Donald Trump has as much a chance as being president as Lloyd Kaufman does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I, isn't that isn't that like what we're we're talking about when it's uh you know life imitating art <laughs> like, imitating life apparently art, oh, that tickles geez, the hell full circle full circle unbelievable so uh you both worked on the on the story for this correct yes. um joe did joe was it the your original idea and then sean you came in doctored the script a little bit i kind of punched it up i punched up and kind of came up with the uh, the idea for robert zadar uh, mm-hmm. the late great robert zadar as the running mate and he's a joy in the short he truly is and he was having so much fun i wasn't on set joe was it was actually filmed in joe's apartment in the course of one day and we just kind of shuffled around everything yeah. actually yeah when he, when he's done telling the story uh we we had to change the script the day before because we lost all the locations but yeah go ahead, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, go ahead yeah, and tell always... me how you came on in the project but, I love the story. Uh, but yeah uh we needed an idea for a running mate and we were just throwing out names and i'm a giant mystery science theater 3000 fan. oh yeah and uh, kind of just looking over at my movie shelf all of them were facing inward except one box set and it was four mystery science theater titles and one was soul taker and I just said, I'm like, ah, got to go with Robert Zadar. Can't go wrong with Robert Zadar. They're perfect together. This would be great. And, and when I called Joe Estevez, he's like, yeah, we're still great friends. One of his best friends. Soul Taker was their favorite experience together. And yeah, it was it was easy going from there. But yeah, we I mainly kind of came in and helped uh, punch up some of the punchlines, some of the political jokes, and um, some of the references to just their past career. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. What was it like working with these two guys? I mean... They're they're celebrities in a certain sense. I mean, you know, Estevez is a is a big name, but you know, not many. Yeah, not many people know who Joe Estevez is. What was it like working with him? Was it were they humble? Were they you know? Just, just really about the craft. They were very humble. I mean, any time that I did that, I wanted something in there that Joe didn't like. He definitely let me know it, um, and I he was totally open to working with me on anything. And we were great working working together. And um, we both really love the finished product, which I find is something not usual with him. <laughs> <laughs> but he called me and he goes, "I see it went up today. I like it." Because oh. it's really good. You guys, you guys did a great job. And I, I normally I don't I don't like a lot of these a lot of these movies that they cast me in. But this this was really good. Mm. And I felt like we were kind of paying tribute to his career in a way because, you know, like I I was a mystery science theater fan growing up. I you know I liked a lot of the movies he did, um, and we were we were kind of reverent towards them. You know yeah. and. 
maybe you know maybe he doesn't i don't know if he gets that a lot but mm-hmm. we we were like no dude we love you we grew up on your stuff there was definitely a respect factor in yeah. writing the jokes and i i kind of looked at it as when because there were some lines that we put in that did cross the line initially because we didn't know and then we we came to the conclusion it's okay to be the butt of the joke don't make him the ass of the joke <laughs> right there is a big difference a yeah and it's yeah. true you you do you, he has reached the point in his career where he can kind of parody himself if he knows it's out of a uh, a place of love and respect yeah. Yeah. and mm-hmm. definitely he felt that and i mean i mentioned self-awareness it's the the character has no self-awareness whatsoever joe is very aware of his his place in in film and in in the history of film so he he was totally cool with it he got it you know and there were there were some points where we wrote in you know titles that we were making fun of and he's like uh, not that guy because I still have a good relationship with him and I don't mm-hmm. want to sour it. Mm. Use this one. I don't care for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy. Yeah. Fuck that. Um, so I want to. I want to get into. Use the button there. Oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry about that. I'll look. Fuck. <laughs> oh when you, no! Yeah, the so Tom. the gates are open. The gates are open. Uh, so <laughs> I want to I want to go back a little bit and sure. talk about um, both your experience uh, be- becoming film lovers because you know most people get into the business because they love films and they they see they see films and they're just like I want to make that and I think I can make that a reality. So when was the first time you saw a movie and said I can do that? Do you want to do it first, and then I'll go? Yeah, I think I can do it first. Um, when I was a kid, uh, growing up, uh, my family is from New Jersey, so mm-hmm. I would constantly go out to New Jersey and visit my aunt, my uncle, and I was staying over at their place, and uh, I got up early in the morning, just kind of going through their movie collection, and they had all the movies that I was not allowed to watch when I was back at home, all the R-rated goodness of Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez and all kind of like the, the indie showcase of the early 90s, and watching those films, especially Kevin Smith films, you, you kind of realize, wait a minute, this guy, he's, he's talking like me. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just arguments about Star Wars and the playground that I'm having with my friends. This, And uh, he looks like he's not really... It's, he's just setting down a camera. He's not really doing much and technically... Skill, I mean, he got better, but at that point in his career, it was just set a camera down, two people walking in, tell some dick jokes, two people walk out, <laughs> go to the next thing, and I'm like, okay, I could do this. It's It seems fun. But then... As you get older, you start going to movies more and more, and just that uh, the conversations that you have leaving the theater, sitting outside of the theater, having a cigarette and dissecting what you just saw, or going over to the diner and having a cup of coffee and talking about that and more and more, and just as the conversations got more and more passionate and, and so on and so on, by the time I had graduated high school, I said, you know what? Columbia is downtown, and I live in Chicago. Columbia is downtown. Why not? I give this a shot and get into this and see if I can really do this. So that was kind of the, the the genesis for me was watching the the indie showcase, so to speak, of yeah. the early nineties. So. And I, it seems like, um, especially with a lot of filmmakers, I would say the this generation of filmmakers, maybe. I mean, Tarantino is a massive figure. Kevin Smith, massive figure, and uh, Robert Rodriguez. And Robert Rodriguez still kind of has that indie spirit. Like he's oh, giving yeah. out money. Right now, he's just like send me your short, and I'll I'll give you you know fifteen thousand dollars to continue with it, see where it goes. Um, and I know uh, Jake, you're a big you're a big Kevin Smith guy, sure, yeah. And yeah. Um, like, would you agree with that that Kevin Smith is kind of one of those on the Mount yeah. Rushmore of this yes. generation? I don't of filmmakers? know. I went to Columbia too, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you had the same experience where, like in high school, I was like the dude who 
knew who Lloyd Kaufman was. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I had my autographed copy of Terror Firmer. Exactly. So oh, well. Terror Firmer is my favorite one. I can talk about that for hours. I can talk about Terror. We can do an entire podcast on Terror Firmer and the, maybe the three of us would want to listen to it. But, <laughs> um, but then you get to college and everybody's heard of all of these people. So there is kind of this school of filmmakers from that time when we were all a certain age watching Darren Aronofsky and Spike Jones and yeah. uh, all of the other just tons of people, which then when you realize everybody else likes those people, that's when I found, well, I like Todd Solondz before that, but you know, like you find those little, the Hal Hartleys and the, the whoever go back, the yeah. Fellinis and you find your German new wave and you find your Italian neo such and then you, you tra- and then you transcend your physical form yeah your Herzogs <laughs> and your your Vim vendors and all of that stuff and then yeah. you know and then we all grow together yeah exactly. that collective that collective film education that yeah. we all seem to be giving ourselves as fans and it, and it always continues yeah yeah like I was gonna say for me it was staying up late one night uh, I was uh, growing up in New York and the original House on Haunted Hill came on and mm-hmm. it was fun I mean I'd never I'd never watched a black and white movie at that point I was like maybe you know 12 or 13 and I really dug it and I I kind of thought of the idea of legacy you know mm-hmm. like here's mm-hmm. a bunch of here's William Castle who's you know at that point had already passed away Vincent Price had already passed away and yet here they are and they get to speak to us again and they get to they get to continue to do that and it's something that it, you know it transcends physical form mm-hmm. and if you do something that resonates you can keep going beyond your lifespan and i think that's that's what made me want to do it is you just kind of have some part of you uh your 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 opinions your thoughts your consciousness kind of lives on through them you know Wow, that's, I that's dig my that. way artistic immortality, yeah. if you will. I got yeah, in a way, yeah. Bumpy when yeah. you're talking, yeah. I'm totally, I'm that, totally that's, with that. That's what Absolutely. I. That's what I was going for. Is yeah, let's do that. Let's do. I mean, unfortunately, you know, you don't always end up being able to make a giant movie. So, you know, we have a couple thousand dollars. Uh, we we know a couple of actors who are sort of well known. We can all have fun. Make an eerily yeah, prescient yeah. short comedy. I, you know, like you know, I need the I need the I need the history books to know that this happened. Like, <laughs> I'm dead scared. When I was watching it, and I'm just like, oh my god, this came out in 2012. And as you said, as as uh, audiences, you know, so aptly pointed out. You you hit like pretty much every major bullet point, which unintentionally, which, yeah, unintentional. <laughs> unintentional. And isn't that isn't that just the way? And that last line, I remember, like you know, you watch the short and you're like, "This is good, this is great, I'm laughing, this is great." And then the last line, you're just like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> shit. Come again? When, when did they just pop this? Like, do you pop was, this shit in? That did was you just not a last minute in? I swear. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it says it's uploaded in 2012. So what you gonna do? Yeah, you can't exactly. do that. I mean, show. even even when we were showing it at film festivals in like 2012 2013 we were always getting a strong reaction and we we were uh-huh. always we the audience was always engaged i mean usually we'd have either joe estevez or robert zadar with us so i think maybe there was that little bit of extra sure you know yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna get to to talk to these guys mm-hmm. but we always had a, a good reaction to it but it's just 
in light of everything that's happened, it's, especially in the last say I'd say eight to nine months, any time that it was watched or any time somebody clicked on it or mentioned it, mm-hmm. it that was first and for, for, or in the, in yeah. the forefront. Is uh, it is it still getting a good reaction online? I know it's on Funny or Die. Like as far as I know, on that meter that they have, it's still deeply funny. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I, I I don't I don't I haven't checked like how many views it has. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think it has that many. Like mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know about it except for the people who have actually seen it or maybe our yeah. friends or people who shared it. It never made the jump to YouTube. Never. Uh, we are we are on YouTube too. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, that's we, good. We uploaded it there. Great. I mean, Joe Estevez still talks about it in interviews. He actually just uh, found something two two three days ago where Joe said it's you know it's a really funny thing I did and I, I really enjoy it and you know telling yeah, people to check it out I think it was like in back uh, backstage or back page or back something. page back, or backstage yes uh, so yeah that was so I mean he still mentions it I don't know if anybody's really seeking it out maybe no. you guys will be able to help with that because oh, uh, yeah. I mean WGN's I mean, gonna yeah. give us a little extra listener base <laughs> that we, or a viewer base that we didn't have before but yeah, um, I wanted to ask because you've got multiple uh, works on Amazon Prime. Yeah, and I was actually I was rewatching um, one of your Caesar and Auto films uh, on Amazon Prime. And how do you guys feel about that as a uh, as a distribution platform as small smaller filmmakers? Like, is this a good thing where people can get stuff out, or is it a sense of uh, if anybody can do it? Does it still have that value? See, that's the thing. I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn. You're on still that. playing with it because, on the one hand, a, a, an avenue like Amazon Prime is going to make it so that you know you're going through seeing seeing what what's on there. You might be like, oh, Linnea Quigley and Felissa Rose and Joe Estevez are in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll check it out. But at the same time. The market is so flooded now that yeah, it, what are the odds that you're going to come across it? You yeah. know, we're yeah. It's um. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or any of these million streaming services that we have to have in order to watch something. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> it's, it's and it's uh it's the uh, wealth of um it's it's the deluge of content yeah. that it paralyzes you. I feel paralyzed sometimes that when you're trying to search through it, you spend more time looking. Find, exactly, you spend most of your time sitting there on your on your streaming stick, just like uh, maybe, and then you end up watching, you know, season five of Friends again for the you know millionth <laughs> time. And uh, but I do, I did love it so much that you know when we were talking before before the show when we were setting this up. That you were able to just say, oh, just go to Amazon Prime and just watch it. Yeah. Like, you don't have to send me a screener. Yeah. I mean, you. most people, uh, you know, a lot of people use um, Vimeo because you get the lock. You know, you can put like a passcode on it and stuff. But um, even then, it's like the the sense of simplicity is so great. You know, yeah, at, at the very least. Someone, it to me. Who then yeah. watched it? Boom. So, there you go. So there Super you go. easy. Um, I want to talk about the Caesar and Otto films. Sure. Uh, especially Caesar and Otto's Deadly Christmas. Which I think is the best one in the series. I, I have to agree. Um, <laughs> so where did the idea for these come, come from? Was it just like, let's do a horror comedy sort of deal or... When, when did you decide that this is why I want to try? Uh, the Caesar Nato films are actually the brainchild of Dave Camfield, the director. He okay. came up with the characters. They were characters that he and his uh, best friend Paul Komicki they 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 did stuff in high school and mm-hmm. you know locally in Long Island with them. And um, they had already made two films 
before I met them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him at a film festival in Ohio in 2007, I want to say. And uh, he invited me, uh, both New York boys, he invited me up to uh, to Long Island to, to watch uh, Cesar Renato's Summer Camp Massacre. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend and I went up and we loved it. Yeah. And um, he... Uh, he contacted me and he's like, "Well, I'm going to be doing another one if you're interested in uh, in coming on board." And at that point, I was trying to, you know, I'd, I'd won a couple of awards for like unproduced screenplays. And he's like, "Well, I'm making this film, so if you jump on and you help write some of it, you know, that'll give you a writing credit yeah. on something that's completed." And um, yeah, we just kind of over the next like uh, I want to say 2000. Eight or 2009 is when I got the first draft of it, and we just started working, and then, you know, as money came, we'd just do more yeah. stuff. Um, and the beauty of him and his best friend being the two leads is you don't have to worry about them going anywhere. Yeah. So the stories are centralized around them, and then it's like, well, we can get Linnea, we can get Phyllis Rose, we can get Robert Zadar, we can get Joe Estevez, and we just kind of sprinkle Piece them it in. together, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that was... He's... For the type of movie that they are, which is just a goofy screwball horror comedy, he puts a lot into the plots of those. Yeah, you there's can, a lot of twists and turns. Uh huh. And you can really get the sense of love from it. Yes. Um, just like one, I wanted to say for for being a movie where it's like you know shoestring budget, mm-hmm. it looks great. It's got a great look to it. Like it looks professionally done. And that shot is entirely and a credit to to Dave. Who's, yeah. Dave is an amazing editor. Mm-hmm. And he he took he took I think like two years maybe to edit this because yeah, he was there's very some, meticulous. Yeah, there's some serious uh, you know kind of I, I just for for a frame of reference I I felt a lot of Edgar Wright the kind of like shoo, 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 quick cuts for for visual comedy. There was a lot of fun visual comedy going on. He will love that comparison when he hears this yeah. interview. I think he will <laughs> love that comparison. Hey man, good job. He's, yeah, I, and yeah, he's someone else I'm I'm going to get you in touch with. He, he all his stuff, he's so good. He's just such a good filmmaker. It's just he's never had that break where he's had like a real budget to work with. Sure. And that was one of the things that I noticed when uh when I went up to see his film in Long Island is I'm like Wait, you mean this for how much? <laughs> like, that's that's, that's like money? catering on that's yeah. like one day catering on a, on, on a bigger movie. So he's able to do this, and he's able to put the, put. The, I mean, he he directed and edited Perfect Candidate too, mm-hmm. and he he co wrote it with me. Uh, and it's he's a really talented writer. He's a really talented director. But overall, I think his editing above anything else that's makes real. they make our films look so good mm-hmm. you know for for films that are made with absolutely no you know no real money to speak of he he worked a bunch of doubles at a restaurant so we could pay robert zadar yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. so, so i mean that's how this money's made it's yeah. not like we're, uh-huh. we're like oh yeah let me just go go get this investor to pop in 20 grand you yeah know? Um, I think our, our total budgets are like three to five, you know, yeah, three to five thousand times. So, yeah. What's it like working on that kind of budget? You find yourself wearing a lot of hats mm-hmm. like um, uh, Summer Ferguson, who's in uh, she's not in, uh, in Paranormal Halloween, but she's the uh, she's the casting agent at the beginning of uh, Perfect Candidate. And mm-hmm. she's the uh, 
the love interest for Otto in um, Deadly Xmas. She does so much besides just act. She's she's our script supervisor. She's basically our PA. She's basically our AD. And it's it's a very tight knit crew because we can't really afford to pay anybody. So it's those of us who have like an emotional stake in it, kind of doing everything. And then you get a guy like Rich Calderon, who's he did all the special effects. He dresses all the sets. He does a lot of professional stuff for like the Hallmark Channel and stuff like that. And and um, there was a joke about him being called like Father Christmas or something. Because anytime you see like one of those Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel, that's him. He's the guy who, <laughs> who dressed all the sets and did everything and got all the props. And he's the one giving Leanne Rhymes a little Santa. Hand, you know? <laughs> and he comes in and he works with us and he loves this stuff so much. And we love him because he he does such amazing work. It's just really just, it's a lot of people who are emotionally invested in the product and believe in it. And because of that, we um, you know, we put everything we have in it because mm-hmm. we we want to see it succeed. Absolutely. Do you think people realize uh, the the level of effort that goes into the to, that goes into no. any filmmaking? No, yeah. no, no, not at all, <laughs> not at all. Everybody wants to make a movie until they realize that it's actually work. Yeah. As soon as it's like, hey, like I'll send people a script and it'll be like twenty pages of something, and they will, they, they'll, uh, you know, months go by and they haven't read it. I'm like, well, if you can't read twenty pages, yeah. what makes you think you're going to be able to do this? Yeah. And and Sean even mentioning you working doubles man you I gotta mean, do whatever, every, everything it takes 18 hour shifts 16 to 18 hour shifts just uh, at a chicken wing joint doing whatever I can just to earn money to get Robert Zadar into our picture yeah. wow gotta do whatever you can and, and those guys took great pay cuts to work with us by the way because they, they, they saw the script like we see it there's there's no money here but what you guys are doing is, is, is really cool and that seems to be everybody you know Felissa Rose I've never met her personally mm-hmm. uh, but she has championed these films all over the place. Uh, Linnea Quigley, I just saw something a couple weeks ago. She commented on something somebody posted about Deadly Xmas about how much she loves this movie. I'm like, still, five years later, five years after the release, you're still talking about it and you're still telling people you love it. That's great. So, I mean, they're really cool because I think once they see something that they think these guys are trying a little bit harder, they're trying to be a cut above everybody else, I think they gravitate towards that. Especially at the stage of their career they're at, where they're you know, their glory days were, you know, twenty, yeah. thirty years ago. You know, they 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 appreciate the fans that grew up and are now doing everything with them. Especially at the lower budget, you have to be even more, you have to show up with more professionalism than than ever because everything has to be on time. Everything that was the one thing that you said uh, when you were picking up Joe and you were picking up Bobby. Even though I, I think a car broke down or something, mm-hmm. like, uh, you were doing whatever you can just to act the most professional that you can because every little bit helps. You never know who's going to talk to who. You never know who's going to work with who. And mm-hmm. these guys, low budget, they can get it done quick, get it done in a day. They're very, you know. That's that sort of thing can get you a huge, huge start. And, and Joe Estevez has gotten me jobs because many of it. numerous he's, gigs. He's he's loved it. But actually, yeah, the, the day we met Robert Zadar, he, it was just after he was uh, he was having his treatments for cancer, mm-hmm. and this was the first project he worked on. He flew into LAX. Now this is how tight the budget was. We couldn't afford to put him up in a motel, so I had to use my higher rewards points to put him up in a high end hotel because I'm like, <laughs> we have no money. <laughs> so I had all these points saved up, and we're like, oh yeah, let's put. No him wonder Bobby loved us. Yeah, 
Bobby loved us. <laughs> oh my uh, so we had to fly him in from Iowa, and the the um, Paul Kamiki who plays Otto in all these movies, he and I went to LAX to pick him up, and uh, I'm standing with Robert as Paul goes to get the car and, bring, and uh, come around. Uh, Bobby's in a wheelchair at that point. Um, and uh, Paul comes around, and the car is smoking, and, <laughs> oh, and Bobby just starts laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. He's going to think we're this horrible fly-by-night operation. So now I, ha- I have no money as it is. I have to hail a cab and take him to, uh, take him to the hotel in Beverly Hills, and it's costing me 80 bucks. I'm like, this is my catering budget for the day i ended up sitting now i'm waiting in beverly hills for somebody else to come and get me and take me back to the set and i ended up missing that day because we were shooting the next day Mm -hmm. we were doing pickups on deadly xmas then we were shooting perfect candidate the next day jeez Uh, how do you keep that schedule like dave is insane (laughs) dave flew dave was living in new york he flew out he was crashing on my couch for a week and um Actually, the studio we were going to shoot Perfect Candidate in double booked itself, and we were the no. lower budget production that they were taking a little. Uh, you know, they were they were we were getting a little less money from you guys. So we're going to take the big boys who are paying us more. So all of a sudden, it's uh, two days before we're shooting. Dave's got to do pickups for Deadly Xmas the next day, and it's like uh, we just lost our, all our locations, and Robert Zadar just flew in. <laughs> 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 and that record scratch. Uh, yeah. This so, is my life. <laughs> so I think I was calling you panicking, and Dave and Sean and I are all on the phone together going, okay, if we move this scene here. So we just ended up dressing my apartment like for eight different setups that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> but isn't that just the beauty of like the, of the indie is. filmmaking is that you you do the best with the what you have. The manic desperation of indie filmmaking. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, especially when you're working with no money. It's not like, you know, we're Warner Brothers and we're just like, yeah. oh, okay, uh, we can't work at Studio 3 today. Well, is there any open studio today? We'll, we'll go, well, yeah, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll move things. I mean, I know it's not that easy. I've worked on the Warner a lot. I know sure. they, yeah. they have their stuff set up for weeks and months. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> it's, it's the beauty it's of it. Else. It's the beauty of it. It's 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 the fun of it. I wanted to ask uh, here in Chicago. When did you come to Chicago? Uh, 2012. And what have you thought about the 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 film community here? I haven't done a lot out here actually. I've uh, I've done a. Um a TV show in Kenosha called uh, Deadger's Dark Coffin Classics. It's a uh, it's a horror host um, and his uh, his dead girls, <laughs> and uh, they showed a couple of my films and a, um, a couple of times they've had me back on just to do whatever yeah. you know whatever they need. And you should check out Svenguli. Uh, I I've actually I love Svenguli. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was a big fan of horror hosts growing up because I think Elvira was kind of my awakening. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Hor- horror right? The horror awakening. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> although, although it was in a way because seeing her, uh, there was um, the old VHS tapes, the big box VHS tapes would have Elvira on it, and then next to it would be like the movie poster. Mm-hmm. And horror movie posters from the sixties, seventies, and eighties are so beautifully painted. Oh. And there was um, a movie called The Monster Club. Uh, and um, it's just all these monster faces, Vincent Price and John Carradine in front of it. And then there's this really sexy, goth-looking woman. <laughs> and it's like, 
I want to watch that one. What is that? <laughs> you know, and you take it home and, you know. So I really had, I always had a fondness and appreciation for horror hosts. So I, I actually saw Sven Gulli stuff before I even came out here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's a, he's a legend. He's man. a legend out he's here. He's a total yeah. legend. And I, I love how it was all regional. Like every every, yeah, every, every area has their own Sven Gulli or Goularty yeah. or Zachary. Oh. Isn't Goularty like Paul Thomas Anderson's dad? I think something something like that. Can I get a fact uh, check Ernie, on Ernie that? Anderson. <laughs> Ernie, his should... name is Ernie Anderson. He might be his dad. Okay. I, I know uh, after I, I know he was like the weatherman or something in Cleveland, and oh, really? they just asked him to do this horror host gig. And <laughs> I got a lot of people. I got a lot of friends in Cleveland that that might be able to either confirm or deny that. But he might be. I, his name is Ernie. Oh, yeah, Anderson. Goulart. Yep. It's uh, oh, he was God. the father so of director Paul Thomas Anderson. That is good, man. <laughs> That's the only reason why I would that know that is name. Good. Thank you. Thank Perfect. You. I'm so glad I didn't. Damn. Fuck that. Up. <laughs> that would have been really embarrassing. Uh, the, yeah, the, the other the other one uh, that's kind of legacy is um, Lori Cardiel, who was uh, the lead in George Romero's Day of the Dead. Her mm-hmm. father was Chili Billy in Pittsburgh. Okay. Another oh, no host. way. That's so so yeah, there's now. dude, Chili Billy. <laughs> Chili Billy. <laughs> well, we were just talking about uh, Ed Wood and Vampira oh, and all that. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. crazy. Why, why do you think horror has that kind of? Um, community reach because when it, when you meet people who i mean everybody kind of watches action sure people, you watch action movies comedy people are comedy people but i feel like when you meet someone who is really uh well versed in horror in all its varieties there's a much there's a real strong i don't know community there a real strong bond when you meet someone else is like oh you know you know joe estev is from from this you know even even between what we just had yeah, we here. can be friends now right yeah <laughs> like i've i've walked in i see someone wearing a day of the dead shirt with bub on it i'm just like hey like we can talk why do you think that is um it's interesting because even if you go back and you look at the great horror writers like if you look at bram stoker and edgar Allan poe and um there was always this kind of um this kind of isolation uh with Stoker it was health reasons with Poe I think it might have been mental illness I don't I'm mm-hmm. but there's um I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the ch- it's the chicken or the egg thing mm-hmm. like I don't know if it's that um the genre attracts people who maybe are more lonely and isolated or if it kind of breeds that a little, but I find that a lot of the people that I know that are into horror movies or into horror literature are people who were, um, you know, bullied a lot as kids or, um, they were, you know, the social outcasts. I, I, I certainly was, mm-hmm. um, there's definitely a release an anger yeah. release involved with, mm-hmm. with, um, in the community and whatnot. There is a, a sense of loneliness. I agree with that. I, I mean, right. there's, there's the anger. There's the part of you that, 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 that is like, why are they treating me like this? You know? And, and the idea of being different and it, you know, even if you look at Frankenstein, mm-hmm. you know, you, you see this poor creature who's just a victim of circumstance and everyone around him just doesn't get him. And because of that, you know, you get you get the the pitchfork carrying mobs. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's part of it. I think a, a huge part of it is there's a sense of com- of uh, community because maybe you understand what I went through, and may and maybe that's why you're you're watching these movies. Who knows? I'm <laughs> I'm not a psychologist. I don't no. know. I mean, I'm just I I can only speak from experience, and I can only speak yeah. from you know the stuff that I've read about you know. James Whale and Bram Stoker and Edgar Allan Poe and all these people who 
there was always this kind of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I mean, James Whale as you know, a homosexual man in 1930s Hollywood. <laughs> who, well, who, are you, who are you turning to? Yeah, yeah. you know. So it's I, a, it's a good a, place for people who uh, who are lost or yeah. like need. They, you're right. It's it's the release. I really like that. The release and the ability to just like throw yourself into something dark and you know find. Uh, you're going to cover yourself up because you, if if you're the person that's getting picked on a lot, you don't want to blend in anymore. You want to just kind of disappear into the background. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I and I think when we see, I think we can sniff each other out in a way. Yeah. Because I think you could you, you know there's there's something that'll that you'll say in conversation or you'll or you'll say in conversation. And it triggers something, and suddenly it's like we've known each other for years because now, yeah, you and you and I, we share the same experience. It's a brotherhood. It's a sorority. It's a, it's, it's a fraternity, fraternity as, as far as uh, cinema. It, it absolutely is. I don't know. Uh, personally, I think you, you probably broke it down a lot more on the psychological aspect, but <laughs> uh, for me, I think it's also kind of your 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 love of cinema your love of creation there's so much Definitely. creativity that goes into uh making a horror movie um i remember uh, when Francis Ford Coppola did Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. he gave an interview and he said, I feel so happy I get to do a horror movie because I can do whatever the heck I want. <laughs> Bleeding fountains, all that. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's artistic. It's beautiful. And he was right because there's a lot. I went back and watched that. Awesome stuff in that movie. Great stuff. But there's some stuff that's completely off the wall. <laughs> and you could tell there was a lot of freedom involved with that. And so I think that there is a sense of, you know, the, yeah, the release, the freedom, the ability to create, the makeup, the just the uh, the madness in a way. I, I think it's very freeing. And art in general is yes. something that you kind of need to be a little isolated for, you know, sure. for for it to work, you know, because you got to. It's weird because you have to be isolated in order to be able to speak to to masses. It's right. weird. And um, actually, there was a friend of mine who interviewed Chris Barnes uh, several years ago from us, um, the the metal band Six Feet Under, and uh, he gave her this quote: "So art is really messed up people who are really lonely and sad, though they really, though I don't know that they have a reason to be." Interesting. Huh. Interesting. Well, um, I also noticed. Just uh, wanted to get your guys's input on this. Yeah. My favorite thing about horror audiences that I've noticed is that they're always rooting for the film more so than other genre. I guess everyone wants a comedy to make you laugh, but it's more like make me laugh comedy. Mm. Like, yeah, you have one job, make me fucking laugh. Whereas a horror film, everybody is wants it to be scary uh, and wants the best for the film and is really gives a lot of leeway to a lot of films like i i know people oh definitely i don't know i wanted to get your guys' opinion on that um yeah i think i think in a way it does because it's it's again it's the community thing Mm -hmm. you know and especially now with social media that you know i i just uh got him in touch with uh john dugan from texas chainsaw massacre cool you know we're able to (laughs) star power (laughs) (laughs) we're able we're you know we're able to to now actually have an interaction with our idol so we we sort of feel that kinship like kevin tenney and i became uh really great friends uh over the last couple of years Uh, and we you know every time i'm in la we meet up we have lunch we have dinner whatever he invited me to thanksgiving a couple years ago cool so I, i think there's that um you kind of feel like you have a personal connection. I, I think again, it's because of the, because of the content. I think also we're used to films not being a not being taken seriously by critics, uh-huh. mm. and 
also we're, we're we can forgive when a movie isn't that bad because we kind of te- we tend to understand that yeah the the studio didn't really want this okay you know they didn't really so that's they, fascinating I, it's the underdog that's a thing great perspective on it's it. the underdog thing yeah you know? mm-hmm. so what's uh what's coming up next for you guys where's where's the next feature where's the next short what are you thinking I've been trying to get a project called Ripper off the ground for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. Uh, Justin Martell, who is actually the producer on the next and unfortunately posthumous uh, George Romero dead film, mm-hmm. uh, he is um, on board to produce it with me. The problem, of course, as always, has been money. <laughs> um, I, I've been trying to get that off the ground. Uh, the script has won a ton of awards. Um I wrote a short with a friend in Michigan called Threshold. It's a uh, 30-ish page horror short that uh, it's all set in one location. We're just trying to figure out the, the logistics to get that done. Um, but that uh, won last year at the Erie Horror Film Festival. The script did, and we're just kind of getting around trying to trying to see what we can yeah, do really. and you've got a you've got a couple of showings coming up in uh in ohio right yes uh wild eye releasing who uh put out the caesar and Otto, uh films and actually there's a box set of the three features coming out in uh i remember it was supposed to come out last month but it got delayed because of manufacturing issues but that's available as the um it's available on amazon.com if you search caesar and Otto. um but uh, Wild Eye Releasing is uh, doing a 24-hour marathon in Columbus, Ohio, at the Gateway Film Center. And we are um, among the films that are showing are uh, Cesar Renato's Deadly Xmas and The Perfect Candidate. I don't think Paranormal Halloween is, and I don't know if Summer Camp Massacre is, but uh, the, others, uh, the other two certainly are. And they're also showing our video tribute to Robert Zadar, which uh, Sean was a big part of. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's coming up. It's uh, through. Um... <laughs> this is gonna be one of those edit points. Oh yeah. Oh, don't oh, worry. I turned my that. phone off. <laughs> um, okay, so it's gonna be at the Gateway Film Center, and it's through a local horror host out there actually that's uh, that's putting it together along with Wild Eye releasing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's taking place on the sixteenth. Fantastic, fantastic. I mean, it's the best way to watch movies is to go out. And just see them. Yeah, it's a I mean, thing, man. especially we. I mean, we talked about the convenience of being able to watch it on Amazon, but there's some. There's just there's something magical about being able to get together with a group of people, sit down, and just watch Definitely. watch yeah, something yeah. together. Watch something together, or watch it on TV even at the same time. That's I think that's one of the things that streaming's kind of kind of ruining. You know, mm-hmm. is the idea of you know talking t- talking to you the next day and going, hey, did did you see that horror movie that was on you know you know whatever channel yeah night, well there is know. no real destination or must see tv anymore, Not anymore no. well i mean there's game of thrones and walking dead which everyone associates with but even then with if you have a yeah. dvr or if you don't have an amc subscription oh, it's okay i'll wait till netflix yeah well, i'll wait, I'll wait till the hbo free weekend yeah, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't watched the new rick and morty yet I, I, I will. I will probably today, but highly suggested. <laughs> Definitely watch yeah. it. So, uh, thank you so much, Joe, Sean. Thank it's been fantastic. Uh, definitely. If you want to see more of their stuff, uh, you've got. All th- I believe all three Cesar Renato films are yeah. on Amazon. There's a box set up there if you want to purchase it. Um, you can catch The Perfect Candidate on FunnierDie.com. Or on YouTube or, or on, on YouTube. IMDb. On IMDb. Right. Wait, so they're actually, you can watch it on IMDb? Yeah. Look at this. The internet. <laughs> right there for you. The internet. The internet. Internet. 
the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely check out the stuff. Where can we find you on social media? Um... I'm trying to remember what the URL is for my Facebook account. I don't remember. <laughs> but just look, well, you know what? Look for Joe Randazzo. No, not the one from the Onion. That's a yes. different guy. That is, that a, is different a different guy, guy who IMDb gets confused with me, and people tweet to me often thinking I'm him. And yeah, not the same man. Not the Bo- same man. Both around the same age. Both originally from Brooklyn, New York. What wouldn't wouldn't you know? <laughs> Ain't so that just the way? Wow! Ain't that just the way? <laughs> There's a lot of and both writers. Yeah, both. What? Jesus Christ! <laughs> I think he's much funnier than I am, though. Oh, well, you know what? <laughs> but not as humble. Not as humble. <laughs> I believe it was. That I don't know. <laughs> I believe it was uh, Kendrick Lamar who said, "Sit down." Be humble. So just, uh, I think that's true. I think that's true. We can quote him on. Sean, <laughs> how about yourself? Where can we follow you in your work? Uh, you can follow me right now. I'm on uh, Twitter at Sean Effen Stefan S E A N F N S T E F F E N. I'm uh, also on Twitch a lot, playing Friday the Thirteenth. So if you ever want to jump in and play, uh, I'll nice. be on. Very fun. Okay. Cool. All right. What's your username on that? Is it the same thing? Same thing? Sean Effen Stefan. Yeah, I'm not a big gamer. Stefan. Yeah, I love it. All right, Sean Stefan and Joe Randazzo. I, before we. Get out of here. Say your last name one more time. Just, yeah, just you mean the, yeah, the, 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 the very, the the very time way? Say it the correct way. Well, I, I'll even give you my full name then because it's not Joe. Please. Yes. My, my, my given name was Giuseppe Randazzo. Oh. I mentioned that I speak Italian before I speak English. Also, I speak only Italian. Paisan. Yeah. <laughs> He's my roommate. He does this at home 24-7. Oh, yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. We will talk to you soon. You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. 